Hi everyone, welcome to Hot Seat with Cognizant Clay. I am your host, Clayton Terrio. Today on the show, we have Dr. Mark Tarnopolsky. He is the head specialist at the Neuromuscular Clinic at McMaster Children's Hospital, which is with Hamilton Health Sciences. He has been my specialist for muscular dystrophy for several years, and he has been absolutely amazing, and I am so honored to have him on the show today. I hope you enjoy it. It records. It's the old uh, AI voice telling us what's going on. So, uh, well, first of all, thank you for doing this. This is pretty cool. No problem. It was, uh, I figured you would be up for it. You've always been quite uh, informative, so. Well, always happy to help. Yeah, for sure. So, well, first of all, during all this uh, COVID quarantine, how are you doing with it? Oh, it's really no different. Uh, I'm in here every day, and... Uh, calling patients. I find, um, you know, it's slower uh, to call people. I'm uh, seeing maybe 60% of the normal volume that we would, but uh, I'm surprised at how much you can actually do uh, by calling people, sorting stuff out, calling in prescriptions and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's very, it's different, but we're lucky that we have the technology we do. That's for damn sure. Yeah. It's too bad that the Zoom got hacked because I've been using this uh, with my family and stuff. And it would be so much easier with patients to do it with Zoom. The only downside, as you saw, you had a few hiccups. And if I had to wait for everyone to solve the hiccups, I'd see maybe four patients a day, whereas the phone, you know, works. And a lot of our patients, uh, you know, we've got older folks who don't know how to use stuff. We've got people with intellectual disability who can't use stuff. So the phone still works quite well. Right. Well, and it, it is hard, but it, like you say, it's definitely the foolproof way. It mm -hmm. still is to this day, right? Absolutely. The old rotary. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so you've been, if my viewers don't know, you, you've been my neuromuscular specialist for a number of years. I was, you know, I was part of your creatine clinical study and a bunch when I was about, I think, six. Um, you have an MD and a, and a PhD in cell biology and metabolism, and you've been a neuromuscular specialist for a while. Why, why did you choose to go into the neuromuscular field? Um, well, I've always been interested in exercise and have been an athlete my whole life. And I did my undergrad in biology and kinesiology. So I was interested in how muscles move and uh, first wanted to be a sports medicine doctor. But I realized, uh, you know, after I spent a few rotations, it was kind of boring once you started learning which joints, there's only so many things can go wrong. And then uh, as I was going through, I thought, you know, I really enjoy muscle. And so I spent some time in the neuromuscular clinic with um, uh, Dr. Fawcett, then now uh, Dr. Goodwin, who used to run the clinic. And I thought, you know, this is pretty exciting because I can use my interest in muscle to think about biochemistry and, you know, how muscles work and uh, got more into molecular biology and stuff, uh, which became important because back in the 80s, we knew about Duchenne dystrophy, but only towards the uh, latter part of the 1980s did we find the gene for it. And so it's become hugely important to understand the genetics of disorders. I've kind of grown with the uh, understanding of genetics and had to, you know, learn uh, on the fly um, all the new genetic technologies. And now we're getting diagnoses left, right, and center for people with different muscle disease, which has been a lot of fun. And I've always uh, been interested in how exercise and nutrition are uh, beneficial therapies. Right. And then it's, it's definitely an interesting, it's quite, it's quite in depth as well. I've, I've noticed, I, I listened to your podcast about about certain I don't even remember what it was about it was so scientific and medical but it's it's fascinating it really is 
uh, it, it's very exciting. And, uh, you know, certainly I think um, back in the late 80s when they discovered the gene for Duchenne dystrophy, I remember listening to the uh, PhD scientists saying, oh, we're going to have a cure within four to five years. Uh, I was a little more skeptical because I've been working with people with this disorder and also realized the challenges to get therapy, to get stuff into muscle. And uh, even now, our therapy for Duchenne is still pretty primitive. And, you know, we're seeing tiny improvements here and there, but it's not as dramatic, I think, as people first thought. And I think people were humbled when they realized after 30 years, we still don't have a quote-unquote cure. Um, certainly, our care is much better, and people are doing a lot better. Uh, I mean, your case in point, um, you know, most people were dying in their teenage years uh, back when I first started. And now most people um, are, are living, you know, I've got folks in their 40s and many people have uh, folks in the clinic that are doing well in their 40s. Well, and that was, that, that was tough for me growing up is, is learning about it. But even since I was a kid, it has advanced so far. And like, I still sleep through the night. I breathe fine. There's no assistance. Eating is fine. Like it's, it's. I'm really pretty grateful for, you know, how far it's come for sure. Yeah, it's interesting because really when you think about it, it's just attention to detail. It is, you know, we know that the steroids, that was a huge advance. Um, certainly the prednisone and the deflazacord have had a, a big impact. And uh, all the studies have shown it improves your ability to, to walk for longer before you end up in a wheelchair, improves your upper extremity function, it improves breathing, and it improves the heart. Um, especially the breathing and the heart, those have always been the things that have caused uh, death in Duchenne dystrophy. And uh, given that those are doing so much better on the steroids, it's no wonder that people are living longer. But then in addition, I think it's uh, you know, nutrition. We've spent a lot of time showing how important nutrition is, uh, showing the importance of identifying and treating vitamin D deficiency. Uh, and then as uh, boys transition to men and are living longer, we've realized that half of our patients have super low testosterone. And uh, replacing that in, in folks also can help to keep the muscle up. And I think people forgot about that because they tried giving high doses when kids were young, but you know, testosterone is not that important. But when you lose it as you get older, replacing the deficiency state, I think also all these little attention to detail have really improved people's uh, quality of life. Exactly. And, and it's just so broad. It's, it's quite amazing. And I do thank you for your work in it because it's really quite exceptional. And you are also... You're an endowed chair at McMaster Children's Hospital, and you're part of Hamilton Health Neuromuscular Sciences. What brought you to McMaster? Um, well, you know, sort of serendipity. Um, I came here uh, because they had a great kinesiology program. And uh, then after that, um, you know, I, I kind of fell into medicine um, without even really thinking about it. You know, there's these people that go in and, oh, I'm the, I want to be a doctor, I'm a med head. Uh, I just went through and had a good time and studied hard and I guess did fairly well and did my sports and volunteered and did all that kind of stuff. And then medicine just kind of made sense. And then as time went on, it just made more and more sense to focus on neuromuscular and neurometabolic disorders. So I did a PhD in cell biology and focusing mostly on metabolism because, uh, you know, in addition to Duchenne and SMA and the muscular dystrophies, a lot of my work is in the metabolic disorders where the muscle is structurally good, it's just the energy supply doesn't work, like mitochondrial disease and stuff. So it just, uh, one thing led to another and I ended up spending, I think, 16 years in university. <laughs> and then when I finished and uh, started here, you know, I had young kids, so it was kind of like more of a practical thing. Um, but, you know, I love Hamilton. There's uh, great places to run. Uh, housing prices are way cheaper than Toronto. Um, you know, I haven't used a car in 30 some odd years. I just uh, I run or bike to work. 
Uh, I mean, I use it to go up north on the weekend, but to come to work here is beautiful. I always can just, you know, even this morning, every morning I run in, you know, 6K or 10K, whatever it takes, depending on my route to get into work. Um, so it's, it's a beautiful place to live. Yeah, for sure. And I'm, uh, I don't know if you, the jersey I'm wearing is Forge FC. They've got a new soccer team and I've always been huge into sports and their sport culture is, is great. It's phenomenal. Oh, yeah. And yeah. It, it's a yeah. lot of fun. I've always been a huge part of the city. What, what would you say is your favorite part of your job? Well, it's a tough one, you know, and it, uh, you know, things um, fluctuate a little bit throughout your career where some things are more uh, interesting. And at the end of the day, the most important thing, obviously, is, uh, is patience and certainly seeing uh, that people um, uh, acknowledge that, you know, we spend a lot of time day and night and, you know, I don't care about the time clock. You just do what you can to help people out. And when that's acknowledged, it's pretty cool. So direct interaction with, uh, with, with patients uh, really is the, the end goal. Uh, but of course, at times the research is really exciting because you get a, a cool finding and it's like, oh my God, this is really amazing and this could help people and I can apply this uh, to folks. So the research is, uh, is a lot of fun. I'm winding down a little bit on the basic science stuff now just because I'm finding that there's just so much that we're doing with gene discovery. Um, so it's more, uh, more directly patient-related stuff that we're working on now. Uh, and less stuff with the animal models and the cell culture and everything. I mean, we still do a little bit of that, but um, you know, when it comes down to it, it's that direct interaction with uh, with people that is is so exciting. For sure. What what kinds of reactions do you get from the patients and the families of the patients that you help? Well, you know, it. Uh, I mean, most people, I think, uh, are uh, aware that you know you're doing your best. I mean, unfortunately, we can't uh, cure things. Uh, and it's, in, it's a tough disease because, uh, you know, we see all sorts of horrible neurodegenerative disorders. And mm -hmm. I have to go up to the neonatal ICU in a few minutes uh, to see a kid with a, a disease that's going to take their life. And, uh, you know, those are, um, those are challenging things to deal with. But I think people, uh, for the most part, uh, probably 95% of all the folks that we see appreciate that at least you're doing your best um, and you're, you're working hard and you care about the, the, the patients and you do as much as you can uh, for these individuals. And, uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's nice to see. Uh, it's also interesting, too, to see the evolution, because certainly when you first talk to people and you give them bad news if they've got a, a, a bad disorder, it's nice to not be nihilistic about it. And I've always felt that there's things we can do for people at many levels, from you know, psychosocial support to just being there to listen to folks, uh, uh, looking at all the little details, like making sure contractures don't happen, thinking about nutrition, thinking about uh, skin health, uh, thinking about all the little things uh, that uh, make someone's life a little bit more um, um, comfortable. Um, and, and dealing with all of those things, I think, gives people hope. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's exciting to see that. For sure. And then, like I said, when I was growing up, it was hard. But as you, I think it's hard for a lot of people, but it's how you manage it and how you deal with it. It's, it's you know, everybody has a problem, but when it's, when it's like a, an actual condition, I find it's, I'm grateful for how far I've come and what I've taught people as well. You know what I mean? It's, it's a very good learning curve for a lot of people. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's uh, people like you and doing things like this that I think are so important because when we see families and we make a diagnosis when someone's three, four, five of Duchenne or, or any neuromuscular disorder, uh, when you can see folks 
who are doing the sort of things that you're doing that have a positive attitude that are you know uh, productive and doing cool things in their uh, 20s 30s and 40s uh, it gives people hope um, you know I think there is a, a very nihilistic approach to uh, neuromuscular disease and you know people thought well that's it you know you're a teenager and you're not going anywhere I mean I just got off the phone uh, from a youngster uh, who's uh, almost 20 now uh, going to uh, Carleton uh, with Duchenne and the supports are in place, uh, does sledge hockey and all sorts of cool stuff. And, you know, like you, very uh, upbeat and optimistic and gives people a lot of hope. For sure. That's, that's really good to hear. What, just to add to that, what advice would you give to families and people who are diagnosed with these disorders? Well, I think uh, um, a number of things. Number one, um, uh, there's always uh, hope, but we have to have realistic hope. Um, but, you know, and again, you know, I, I remember years ago when um, I had some people, because not everybody is appreciative uh, or nice, uh, and, you know, they sort of yell at you and say, well, you know, if you can't cure it, uh, why am I wasting my time coming to see you? But what we've talked about already is age 18, 19 was when most people were dying, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Now folks are living into their 40s. We haven't really done a lot, but it's all that attention to detail, but we're not curing anything but we've, we've doubled people's lifespan and we've improved the quality of life. And, uh, and that's pretty cool. So, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, that's a, an important point is attention to all the tiny little details add up and over a long period of time, make a huge uh, impact on people's life. For sure. And it's, it is hard, but like you say, it's come so far. It's, it's, mm-hmm. we have a lot to be grateful for. And you founded Exerkine in 2013, which develops, therapies and improvements in the lives of patients. Talk me through a little bit what that's all about. Yeah, so we started off um, realizing throughout uh, many decades that exercise is the um, probably the most effective therapy that we've seen. We've got uh, one family that when I diagnosed the uh, youngster, I think he was three or four with Duchenne, uh, and his grandfather was into yoga and stuff. So he spent two hours a day exercising with this uh, fellow. He's in university now at 20 never went on corticosteroids, and he's still walking with Duchenne dystrophy. Um, So, I mean, that's pretty striking. And so we started doing stuff in animals where we exercised FSH dystrophy mice, uh, Duchenne dystrophy mice. In every study we've done, we found that exercise is beneficial. And so what we wanted to do is to identify, well, if it's so darn good, what is it about exercise that's good? So one of the things that exercise does, it releases chemicals into the blood, which then impact various tissues. And uh, I came up with the term in a lab meeting about 10 years ago, we called those things exerkines. And uh, so we first set out to try and identify what these were, um, you know, thinking maybe we can come up with 20 or 30 of them, put them in a little uh, syringe and inject them into people. And uh, if, even if they can exercise, we'll get the benefits. So uh, we actually uh, identified one called interleukin-15, and it improved skin health, increased the mitochondria, and improved muscle a little bit. Uh, the problem with those uh, compounds is that when you look at the regulatory issues and hurdles that you have to go through, it's tens of millions of dollars, many, many years of development. So yeah, we got the patent on that, but then we very quickly realized this is going to just cost a fortune, and you know, um, it was going to be a challenge for the company to move forward. So then we uh, changed our direction a little bit and we went back to our roots in different nutritional compounds. As you know, we published that paper that you were part of uh, with the Duchenne dystrophy and creatine study published in neurology, I think it was 2007. And so what we did is we started to look at 
combinations of different supplements to try and improve people's function. So the first one we came up with, and we've got three clinical trials showing benefits, was creatine uh, with casein and whey protein, uh, vitamin D, calcium, and high dose fish oil. And what we found, and we just uh, were going to submit the paper pretty soon, uh, that the older adults who went on that versus placebo got an uh, increase in their muscle mass. Um, their uh, muscle mass to fat ratio was favorably enhanced. And uh, what's cool is we're working with Chris Perry now at York, and uh, we've taken that, tweaked it a little bit, and added a few things to it to make it a better muscular dystrophy slash Duchenne supplement. So Chris Perry, um, who's one of my good friends and colleagues at York, is going to take our new supplement that we've created with Exerchyme, which is our muscle enhancer, and now we're going to start applying it to different disease models. So if it works for the uh, Duchenne dystrophy mouse, it'd be fantastic to start trialing this in humans. The downside, of course, I realized is that even when we did the creatine stuff, we came up with another uh, combination and we applied to Muscular Dystrophy Association, but we didn't get funded, I think, because people want a single drug. They don't want to think about nutrition as being effective. And I think there's a, a pretty big lobby, too, with the um, uh, drug companies. They don't want to know anything about exercise or nutrition because uh, you're not going to make billions of dollars with the, with the drugs. So as a consequence, we're trying to do this through Exocrine, and we started the company to say, well, screw you. We're going to do what we think is going to work the best, and uh, some of our stuff uh, so far appears to be very safe and quite effective at improving muscle mass. Awesome. Good to hear. So I have a little segment here called Rapid Fire that I do with my guests. Just ask a few, you know, random questions. Um, yeah. I, I'm curious. I couldn't find much about you during research. Where did you grow up? A new market. Oh, interesting. So that being said, who would be your favorite person from Ontario? Holy crap. Uh, probably uh, Bob Ray, I would guess. Yeah. Yeah, he was uh, pretty instrumental when we were getting together. And because of Bob Ray and the Bob Ray days, my wife and I actually met. And without him, I never would have uh, gone for a walk with her and got married to uh, the best woman in the world. So well, that's, that's why Bob Ray's my favorite. <laughs> Brownie points. That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> what, is your, what is your favorite thing to eat? Um... I really like very good quality pizza. The one I'm really hooked on right now is Bluebird Cafe Pizza from Orangeville. So if anyone goes by there, they have the best pizza in the world. And my sister lives in Italy. I'm telling you, Bluebird Cafe Pizza in Orangeville, best. Oh, wow. There you go. I'll, I'll check it out for sure. Um, and judging by your resume, it seems like you do not get very much free time. But when you do have free time, what do you like, what do you like to do? Well, I think everyone knows that I'm absolutely addicted. Um, and my good channel for my ADHD is exercise. So I run, I bike, I ski, um, and I love playing around with my chainsaw and my tractor. Well, that's good. That's good. Um, other than skiing and running, do you have any other sports that you follow? Um, yeah, it drives my wife nuts, uh, but um, I do, uh, actually, I've been watching the um, Doha uh, World Championships for track, um, all the running and field events. That was fantastic. Uh, so it's on YouTube every night now, the 2019 um, World Championships. Uh, I also watch downhill skiing. As a, that's really cool to watch. And uh, sometimes Red Bull Rampage. <laughs> oh, awesome. Yeah, my mom, my mom and I really like our skiing, anything alpine, slalom. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's fun to watch. This is just a curious question here. How often do you get asked or compared to Bill Gates? Never. Really? 
Never. Really never. Well, we think you look kind of like him, so. Oh, really? That's kind of funny. <laughs> and this is my little smart-ass question of the rapid fire. If you weren't such an egghead smarty pants, what would be your backup profession? Oh, that's very easy. Um, and actually, it was interesting because when I was 16, 17, um, I used to work out in Alberta as a carpenter, and I was offered a job as the head carpenter for a, a company out there called Delta Cats. And it was a tough decision to go back and go to university uh, or to stay out there as a carpenter. And uh, even now, like my wife and I just built a sofa bed yesterday. I built a, a thousand square foot deck. Um, we completely renovated, uh, rebuilt a cottage up north. Uh, our first house, my wife and I pretty much tore the thing apart and rebuilt it. Um, so definitely be a carpenter and a contractor. Oh, wow. Awesome. Yeah. My, uh, my grandfather was actually a carpenter. So that's pretty yeah. deep profession to my heart for sure. It's, it's a fun one. It's a really oh, fun I one. I love it. Um, so I was back into the questions here a bit. Apart from your neuromuscular career, what, what other advocacy or awareness um, foundations or charities do you support? Yeah, I mean, most of them, uh, you know, i got to keep it close. i got to spend my time in the uh, two areas I'm most interested in, of course, uh, Muscular Dystrophy Association. And um, uh, the other big one uh, that I'm really involved in is Mito Canada. Um, so mitochondrial disorders. And actually, I'm doing a similar interview tomorrow with, uh, with the Mito Canada group. And we did a big uh, COVID-19 mitochondrial thing last week. So, uh, and part of my uh, company's uh, profits, once we, if we do make a profit, which I hope we do, uh, are going back to support Mito Canada. And, yeah. Oh, wow, awesome, good to hear. Um, is that, so in terms of that, it, I was just curious, it, is there currently right now, is there any, apart from the Exerkind stuff you talked about, is there any other clinical trials going on right now that are of notable importance? For Duchenne? Yeah, for Duchenne or any neuromuscular, really, but Duchenne mainly. Yeah, I think uh, certainly, um, you know, uh, people are interested in the whole exon skipping, given that uh, two-thirds of cases of Duchenne are deletions, usually in the middle of the gene. And so there's uh, various uh, genetic strategies where you can sort of uh, convert, for lack of a better term, Duchenne into Beckers by uh, essentially joining these uh, together so that the gene doesn't break down. And, uh, you know, there have been some benefits um, you know, that have been seen. I think they're uh, continuing to work on improving the quality of those. And I know the one youngster I was talking to today is involved in one of the Sarepta studies with that. So we'll see where that exon skipping goes. Um, you know, it can't help but get better. Um, you know, if we gave up when we first started cancer therapy 40 years ago, um, you know, we'd be nowhere. And yet now for um, acute lymphoblastic leukemia, there's a 90, 95% cure rate depending on the age of the kid. Uh, so every little incremental step, I think we're going to learn more and more. Um, we've already doubled the lifespan of Duchenne dystrophy with nothing specific other than all the little attention to detail. So I expect 20, 30 years from now, I think we're just going to keep adding, adding, adding until we get people, you know, uh, living into their 60s and 70s, which would be fantastic. For sure. And, and after, I know you talked about you're kind of winding down in your career bit. Is there anybody who, like, you're teaching or mentoring that you feel will be the next like Dr. Tarnopolsky, if you will, like, is there, is there any people coming up that you work with? Yeah, I think um, right now, uh, no one specifically we've tried over the years. Um, part of the, the challenge I think is to run a basic science lab 
to do clinical trials, to see patients, uh, and then on top of it, as CEO of a company, um, there's only so many hours in the day, and a lot of people, I don't think, um, you know, when I started, it was 90 hours a week for the first, you know, 12 to 15 years. Not a lot of people are willing to put that time in, so that's going to be a bit of a challenge. Uh, what we're hoping to do is over the next five years get a pediatric um, neurologist to do neuromuscular fellowship, take over the Duchenne and the SMA. I'd like to be there to uh, transition them for the next uh, three to five years. Uh, I think the uh, adult aspect is probably going to have to fall by the wayside. And, uh, but there are a lot of very good uh, adult neuromuscular uh, physicians in Southern Ontario now, which we didn't have a few years ago. So I don't think that that's a big issue. Uh, certainly, I'd love to get one of the younger um, uh, uh, folks in here over the next uh, three to five years, which I'm pretty sure we can do. The metabolic aspect of things is usually a completely different group of people. Usually those are metabolic genetics folks. So that, uh, that may be a bit of a challenge. I might have to farm that out elsewhere, but, uh, but we'll see. Good to hear. Good to hear. Well, like you say, it's, it's improved quite a bit. And, and I even, I remember when I was younger, there was not very many neuromuscular specialists and now you look it up and it's, it's all over the internet too. It's, it's mm. quite good to see that. Um, so during, during this whole COVID thing, it's, it's hard for a lot of people to, you know, raise awareness for charities or whatever. How would you recommend people keep the awareness for neuromuscular disorders going through this shutdown? Well, I think uh, certainly the thing that um, I found interesting is that I'm spending much more time doing video conferencing and stuff. And uh, it, uh, you know, it, it, to me, it almost seems like there's more awareness that's coming now. Uh, and we're going to learn uh, better how to use these virtual spaces. I mean, you look at the quality of this Zoom meeting, for example. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what Zoom was. So, I mean, yeah, we saw it once in a while six months ago. But now all my family's using it. My, my wife's uh, mom, who's like in her 80s, who's the, the most computer illiterate person in the world, we actually got her up and running on Zoom. So I think with increased uh, awareness and increased quality of these sort of programs, I think, uh, you know, it's going to help people to spread the word and uh, in a virtual space, learn more and more. And actually, um, I think it's going to help because I think we're going to uh, just reach more people over time. Exactly. And that's just it. It's, it's quite amazing. Have you done any appointments with Zoom or is it mostly just the phone, like you said before? Yeah, the challenge with uh, the Zoom is, as you know, about three weeks ago, there was that whole thing where their uh, stock dropped like a stone because there were some uh, examples where people were doing PhD defenses on Zoom and they uh, had some hacker come in and put porn on. <laughs> so... <laughs> So with uh, things like that, we were told that we're not supposed to use Zoom. I mean, I can do it in this context because um, I'm not talking to you as a patient. So as a patient, we have to do it by phone. And there's an OTN network thing that we can do. But I've heard that for most people, it's a real challenge um, to get it up and running, um, especially people who aren't as computer savvy as, uh, as you are. But I'm hoping that uh, technology is going to make these things easier. And when I look at how easy Zoom is becoming. I have hope for the future that this is just going to be a much easier way of moving forward. And I just hope they can get the encryption so that we can do this uh, with everyone uh, in case we do have to do remote access uh, uh, consults. Yeah, it definitely makes it easier. As, mm -hmm. I, as it progresses, travel's getting harder for me. So it's definitely very appreciative of all, all the technology. Like my friends are all obviously I'm high risk. So the only people coming over are my mom and dad to help me shower and 
whatnot, but I play Xbox with my friends every day just to talk to them. We don't even have to play games. Sometimes we just watch Netflix together or whatever it is. And it's, it's great. It's, it's definitely helped for sure. That's cool. Yeah, no, I agree. That's a great, uh, great point. Yeah. And video games, that's my, uh, that's my exercise. I always joke. My hands are actually pretty good because of it. So yeah, that's good. The dexterity and that's so important. Yeah, for sure. I can still text completely on my own. So I'm happy. Um, well, that's about all I have, Dr. Tarnopolsky. Um, thank you so much for everything you've done throughout my life and for giving your time, you know, your, uh, bedside manner and your dark sense of humor is quite exceptional. So it's great to see, and I, uh, I'll send this out to you once I post it. Great. Well, thanks so much, Clayton. It's uh, great talking to you, and thank you so much. I think everyone really appreciates what you're doing. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, you have yourself a good one. I will. Eh? You too. Eh? Bye-bye. Right. See you later. Thanks.